0: I, I want to say it up front before we go into the book of Mark again. I, I love going through the Bible with you. I said this a few weeks ago, but I, I really, and I don't know if, I don't know if I'm gonna, I'm not setting this in stone, but it really makes me want to, as I preach, just go through the books of the Bible and just let the Bible speak for itself. There's churches and denominations that do that, and I've always respected that. Um, I've always felt that there's felt needs that show up, and you preach about those needs, and use the Bible to, you know, talk about what God, how God feels about that specific thing. But I love going through the book of Mark so much because in my mind, in my heart, I am, Jesus is revealing to me truth about who he is. And I've said this a lot over the last few years that when you fall in love with Jesus and you find the real Jesus, you find out who God really is. You're going to find out that he's much better than you put him out to be, and what culture makes him out to be, and what denominations put him out to be. He really is much greater, and 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 uh, I know this is not a term, but much gooder, right? More gooder. Uh, he, he's he's uh, he's better than we uh, put it. He is whatever we put him to be. He is like infinitely better than that. And so, if that's true. We have every reason to take what Jesus says in the Bible, even the hard parts, and say, you know what? You are worthy of my all. How many of us, you don't mind not want to raise your hand, how many of us have been church going people or your Bible reading people? And you, if you're honest, you were to say, there's things I've held back over the past. I haven't been as you know, uh, outgoing for God. I haven't been so obvious as my faith. I think I have. I've held back in certain areas and the Lord has challenged me. Maybe He's given me a swift kick in the rear in love, right? Okay. I don't let you to take that the wrong way, but He'll say, Joel, I have so much better for you. Why do you hold back? Because in my mind, it's kind of like when I was a kid, if, if, uh, if I had a big thing of candy, you know, and and my parents, my dad's right here, you know. So my parents said no candy. I don't think that ever was a r- rule in my house. We could just eat candy all I want, just if we share. But if I, if all of a sudden my parents said, get rid of all the candy. You can never eat candy again. And I set it to the side in a bowl somewhere, and they start tossing it in the garbage. I'm saying my parents just want to ruin my life. I think, and what they're doing is go. They, they they would go, you know what? And I eat sweets. You guys know that. So so I'm a grown-up now. I can do whatever I want. My dad's here. No, never mind. I always eat my vegetables. <laughs> but in reality, they go, okay, let's just use this example. You know, they, they bring in the vegetables, you know, and the vegetables taste like candy. I'd be the most healthy person here. And I'd be like, you know, but they say, we, Joel, it seems like you're. you're when you give up this, it seems like I just don't care about you, but I have something greater than you greater for you. I have something greater for you. I have something that is is going to create something in you that you were meant to live out. And if you live for the world, if you live for yourself, if you live like how the world says you need to live, you're going to be a version of yourself that you're not going to really like. And that's what Jesus says. We've been studying for the last, well, this is, believe it or not, week 14 of the book of Mark. Now I am well aware as a pastor that 14 weeks in one series is a long time. Okay, when I was in school, they either you you preached, you were taught to preach just different topics every single Sunday, or you were taught to do you know five to six weeks max. But I really love this myself. No one else likes it, just don't say anything, just smile and pretend, nod your head, go, just give me a thumbs up. But We've been studying specifically something for the last two weeks that we're going to conclude this mini series, if you want to call it that, in the middle of this series called Mark, that really is vital to the rest of the story of God, the rest of the Gospel of Mark, because Jesus takes he 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 well he's transfigured physically, but he's also changes not the way he speaks, not what he but he changes his focus on something very specific. And a lot of the gospel, a lot of the uh, disciples said, I don't get it. They were blinded. So remember a few weeks ago, we actually talked about a story about a blind man who showed up with some friends and the friends brought him to Jesus and he can't see and Jesus heals. In fact, at the, at the risk of everyone rolling your eyes, we're going to read that story one more time because it physically happened in history, in the Bible, but it's very symbolic of something even greater than blind eyes being able to see, even though that would be great. If I'm blind physically, you better believe I'm going to want to be able to open my eyes and see color. That red would just... If I was blind and I got to see that color red for the very first time, I may have to put sunglasses on because it's like, whoa, it's awesome, right? I want to be able to see that. So let's look at Mark chapter 8. Just a few couple verses, and then we'll go into today's passage, but it says this. When they arrived in Beseda, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. I think I'm reading this for the third time because I like the way that Jesus heals him. You'll see. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, then spitting on the man's eyes, that's why. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know any pastor or any preacher that knows can explain why he did that, okay? Because he didn't have to do that. He laid his hands on him and he asked the man, can you see anything now? The man looked around, yes, he said, I see people, but th- th- this is where when you're praying for someone, you're going, Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for healing right now, and then you go, did anything happen? Yeah, but, and you're like, uh-oh, okay, what do I do now? Uh, pastor's manual, hold on, what do I do? Uh, what do they say in college? I don't know, I don't know what to do next, but he goes, yeah, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. Kind of like if you need glasses, you're like, I can't really see. I see red. I know that's Alice because she sits over there every time. But I can't see very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Interesting. And then Jesus, this is interesting, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. Now, this is just for fun. This is just for me. How many of us think that's strange that Jesus has to pray twice? Nobody? Everybody thinks it's normal? I think it's very, very odd. The Son of God, who Jesus himself claims to be God, he claims, to, he, he says it all the time, okay? And he has to pray twice? Like, that is so, so, so odd. And the reason why I believe that this is the case, I don't think he prayed wrong. I don't think that he was not in relationship with his father. I think that it was for a very, very spiritual, uh, illustrational purpose, because he goes, Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back to the village on your way home. That's a very common theme in Mark, where Jesus says, now that you're healed, don't say anything about it. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Fine, just don't tell anybody about that. Okay, weird? Okay, it's it's Jesus knows what his purpose is. Jesus knows what the end of the story is and these people can't really see. But this story, the man goes, this is important. I know you're like I've already heard this last two weeks. Fine. The reason why is this is very important. He went from being blind completely, not being able to see right what's right in front of him the truth, if you want to call it that. He went from that to be able to see in part. I can see that this is someone with blonde hair. And but I can't quite see who it is. She looks, she 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 looks like a statue. I won't say trees. She might get offended. I don't know. (laughs) She looks like a statue to me. I don't get it. What I don't see. You see. Then he goes from that to be able to go. Ah, that's Darlene. (laughs) Ha! Beautiful. Awesome. Look at that. I can see clearly without these. Awesome. Which I can. I know it's you. But because you sit there every single time, it's very. I can see you clearly. But that's, so that's the three things I want you to remember about this story and later on, that when it comes to blindness, the main point here is not a blind man is able to see all of a sudden, because that's awesome by itself. Jesus has done that before, but this one's a little bit different. This story is only found in Mark, okay, and and he has to pray for him twice, The first time, he's healed, but not quite clearly. He can see it, but not really. He can see in part. He can see truth, but not complete. Okay? Then, Jesus prays for him again, and then he can see clearly what's right in front of him. In other words, he can see truth. He can see what it really is. When I when I look at Darlene, I can say, okay, this is what she looks like. This is the color hair she has. So, when it comes to this story, it's not really about a blind man, because it's physically happened, but it's very symbolic in nature, because there is a greater need in all of us than a blind person being able to see. Now, it would be wonderful, I mean, I, people say, you could get your eyes done, and you can get your, you could be able to see clearly, okay? I, yes, that's true. But it would be awesome, because I think I look funny without my glasses, I'm just used to it. I've been wearing these for like 25 years, not these same glasses, but but um, I've been wearing... Some glasses, some type of glasses for since high school. I used to put them, leave them in leave my car, and then in college I figured out I need glasses permanently. And ever since then, I haven't taken them off except for showers and bed. But the reality is it would be awesome if all of a sudden I'm talking here and, and all of a sudden everything's blurry if my glasses I go, and then I can see clearly. The rain is gone. Okay, yeah. Um, I can see clearly, right? It would be awesome. But you know the reality is. There's a bigger issue in our lives than just being able to see clearly. And the reality is because he went on later on, we're not going to read it, but he, he, he said something about the disciples not being able to see clearly spiritually. In other words, Jesus told his disciples, who do people say that I am? And this happened right after the story. Who do people say that I am? And then they started mentioning names. Well, they say that you, you're, you're John the Baptist come back here. He's dead, but now he's back to life. You're Elijah. You're one of the prophets now reincarnated, basically, which is weird to think about that. These Jewish people thinking that he's reincarnated, but this is, but he goes, okay, fine, that's fine. Who do you say that I am? Peter, who is the loud mouth of the group, me, like me, he stands up and he goes, you're the Messiah. And like I said last week, there should be a bell, ding ding, you win the prize. But then we figure out very quickly that Peter looks at Jesus, he says, you're not just a teacher. You're not just a good, like a, a spiritual guru. You're not just a good example, even though he is. You are the Messiah. You were promised in the Old Testament for generations. You are that one man. But we learn very fast about Peter that he tries to put the Messiah in this certain non-biblical box. This is who, this is who I make Jesus out to be. Okay? So Jesus goes, you know what? You're blinded. Then Jesus has to like tell them, this is where his story, kind of his sermon changes a little bit. Because one day he shows up right after this, right after all this and he goes, by the way guys, I have to remind you of something about the Son of Man, who I am. I have to suffer and die. Now how many of us that shocks you that Jesus would say that? Does that shock you that Jesus would say, I have to suffer and die? None of us are shocked. But then Peter goes, the same guy who just said Messiah, he goes, and he starts yelling at Jesus. This is not who you are. Do I need to remind you, Jesus, what the Old Testament said? He, he, he said, he thinks he knows more than Jesus. And what is, what's the name that Jesus calls him? Get behind me, Satan. Now, I've been called names in my life, but I've never been called Satan, at least to my face. You're acting a little bit demonic, if you will. No, never, never, never been that way. But Jesus is very, very strict against him because Peter says something that is very wrong. He says, the Messiah shall not die. He shall not suffer. He is a king. He's going to show up. You're here. Go free us right now. Go to Rome. Get rid of all this government, horrible stuff. And I want you to make our nation even more prosperous and better. And Jesus goes, that is not why I'm here. You're seeing things from human perspective, not from God's perspective. Get behind me, Satan. And then, in chapter, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, because the third part of this, really this story, it starts with the blind man being able to see clearly. And then it goes from seeing, from it goes from the disciples claiming to know that he's the Messiah to being boneheads again and going, but the Messiah, this is what the Messiah looks like. He looks like this. He looks like this. And Jesus looks at it and goes, that is wrong. You're spiritually blind. I want you to be able to see Jesus for who he really is. And you know why I got excited this morning when I'm practicing this? I'll tell you why. Because what could be greater for any one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, or you're you, you've been a Christian for a million years or not, or if you've been a Christian for two years or four years, it doesn't matter. The greatest thing that we could figure out right now is who Jesus really is. I've talked with a lot of people who claim to know Jesus, and they say things, and I go, and I'll give you an example, and I don't mean to pick on the Mormons, I don't. Cause I've had, I've invited those Mormon missionaries up cause I, I, I love them. I, 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 my heart breaks for them. Okay. But we, and I asked them, we asked each other questions about Jesus and we went through the Bible and I told them about who you think. And it was a different, it got to the point I already knew that there was a different version of Jesus. Because they started saying things that go, there's no way. So it's not, we need, and I'm not just picking on them. I'm talking about any one of us who creates God or Jesus in our own image. We we look at Jesus and we go, oh, you're this, or you're this, or Jesus says something in the Bible, and you go, that's too harsh. I can't live that out. You mean I have to deny myself of this? I have to not live for myself? I have to now live for Jesus with everything? That's too hard. And in a sense, I would 100% agree. I really would. You know why that I don't like that? It's because I'm human. I like comfort really much, a lot, a lot. I like my own way. I really do. Because I, without God, I think I know what's best for Joel Bremer. I know myself. But you know who knows me better than even myself? The one who created me. And, and and I think what's best for me, and God goes, that is not what's best for you. I have what's best for you. And you're going to figure out today who Jesus really is. I really believe it. You're going to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And he's much, much greater, much more beautiful, much more glorious than you ever thought he was. And when you see Jesus for who he really is, it just makes sense to say, you know what? You are worthy of all my praise. You're worthy of my whole life, not just 10%, not just 99%. And I've been there where I just, if God always talks about relationship, I almost have this relationship with Jesus where I kind of, this kind of seems weird, but I kind of flirt with him like, oh yeah, Jesus, I really like, I want to follow you. And then things get hard. I'm like, oh, whatever. I don't, you're asking too much of me, God. I don't want to do that. So Mark chapter nine, verse one, I'm going to pause here. We're not going to camp on this verse for a long time because it's a very odd verse. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Okay, what's that about? Does anybody know what event he's really talking about? Okay, you're like, yeah, I really know what it is. The reality is many scholars disagree with this. what he's talking about. There's many people, which I don't agree with, but they say he's talking about the event that's just going to take place in a few moments. I don't agree with that because like, you won't die. Well, duh, they're standing right in front of him. Okay, I believe with all my heart that he's talking about this fall, the fall, the, the the Holy Spirit showing up and then the disciples going out and reaching the world for Christ. I really believe that. That I tell you the truth, some standing right here, right now, will not die before the kingdom of God arrives in great power. Now that is a little precursor to the story you're gonna read. Everybody say power. Power. Okay, what you're gonna see with God, what you're gonna see with Jesus. What you're gonna see with these three disciples, one word comes to mind. Power. Okay? And I wanna say it out loud right now, cause I don't think any of us would say this out loud. Uh, that some people think that we, that God's out there somewhere at best, but He's not that powerful. Because I, tr- I prayed. I really prayed, Lord, and it didn't happen. So either A, you don't exist. B, you don't care. Or C, you're not powerful enough. We've all had people that said that, or we've said ourselves, But one thing you're going to find out right now in this story is that God is super, super powerful. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is glorious. He is in control. There is nothing that can stop him. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. And we deal with things in life that we have question marks about. We're like, why? And God goes, follow me, trust me. It doesn't make sense now. But if you follow me, I'm going to take you down a road. And someday you'll go, Gotcha. I understand. Maybe not right this second. So Mark chapter 2, I could not skip this story or I'd get in trouble with myself or in God because it's very powerful. It says this, six days later, so after this thing that he says, hey, someday you're going to experience something powerful. Six days after that, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed or transfigured, the real word right there for transformation is metamorphosis. I don't know the exact word, but it's where we get the metamorphosize, something like that. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. He transforms. When I was a kid, I grew up in the 80s. This might seem weird to some people, but I had transformers, these little toys, right? And you had a little car driving around, and you transformed it, and even a cartoon. But, you know, you could pull the arms out and do that, and all of a sudden, he's something very different. Okay, As silly as that sounds, that's a, that's exactly what happened to Jesus here. Some They see a vision of Jesus where he goes, he's no longer just this man walking around. He's no longer just a preacher from Galilee. He's no longer this teacher. He's no longer just this healer. He's no longer just cast out demons. He no longer just walks on water. He no longer just provides food. Now, he's very much transfigured right before his their eyes. And his clothes became dazzling white. I like this little line. Far wider than any earthly bleach could ever make them. You couldn't clean your clothes that clean. Right? That's interesting. Then Okay? And so, I want to be very clear about this story. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this will seem very odd. Two people show up that have been dead for a long time. It, interesting. Okay. Uh, if all of a sudden I'm walking through life, and I go home, and someone's standing in my house that they've been long, long gone, I'm going to be running away. I'm so, I am I will. I will. I will run away. I will. Like, I don't know what just happened here. But Jesus knows exactly what's happening because then Elijah and Moses appeared. How many of us know those two guys? They, we all agree they're all long gone, right? They just show up on the scene. What? Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Okay? We don't know what they said because the disciples were kind of back. And then... Peter exclaimed, of course it's Peter. He runs up, hey, Rabbi, teacher, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, we want to stay right here. We don't want to go back to real life. Who would? If I, if I go up on Mount with Jesus and he's transfigured, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Right? Can I stay here, Lord? Right? We never have to worry. But he actually, it says why he said that. He said this because he really didn't know what else to say. For they're all just terrified. In other words, this scene of Jesus is much more powerful than we... I mean, you can't draw it. You couldn't have a cartoon. You couldn't have a picture of Jesus. This is very, very glorious. It's very bright. It's like, I need sunglasses. Jesus, cover yourself. You are bright. But they were all terrified, scared. Then the cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, and by the way, I underline that because that's important. If you were at an event and you heard the audible voice of God, which by the way, I haven't, that that I know of. And if you heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. How many of us would, that's pretty clear, okay? Two things happen there. Number one, God himself clearly says right now, this man right here that you see up on the mountain, this Jesus, this is not just a good teacher. This is not just a healer. This is not just a provider. Those are all wonderful things. He's not just a good example of what we're supposed to be like, even though he is, but he's more than that. This is my son, capital S. This is the Son of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you need me to explain a little bit, a little more detail, ask me after the service, and I'll give you a little bad example of why I think I could kind of understand how that could be three in one. Right now, I don't have time for it. But this is my Son. Listen to Him. You know what the word listen means? Obey Him. What He says, go for it. Listen to Him. When he says, deny yourself, follow me, do it, follow him. Suddenly, after this happened, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. Okay, interesting. And they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, pause. How many of us know what that means? Like when he he says, I'm going to rise from the dead, you go, that's Easter. Yay, Easter. 50 days later than Pentecost, right? But so they kept it to themselves. But they often—and this is funny—it's like over the next weeks or years or however long we don't know how long this is before his death. But they often ask each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Again, pause for a second. They're still blinded for good. Re- I'll be fair—they—they—they they, they don't have. We're hindsight's twenty-twenty. Ever heard that? We know it because we've read the story. Okay, but they're like. Scratching their beards going, hey, Peter, you're the smart one here. Oh, wait, now Peter's kind of, can be dumb sometimes. John, you're the closest one. What did he mean by rising the dead? He's like, I don't know. I have no idea. I, it. ask Nathaniel, but he's never talked. So, you know, uh, or talk, talk to Matthew. He's, he's, he's talking about the taxes I used to know. But then they asked him, which is weird. I think that they just don't know what to say. Because then they go in a weird conversation. Then they ask them, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? I They saw Elijah, and then they're like, okay, let's go in a different direction in this conversation. Because Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with other other contempt. In other words, Peter, here's the point. I'm going to die. Get the clue. But he goes, but I tell you, Peter, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. You know, that talks about John the Baptist being that forerunner. And if you haven't read that part of Mark, it's in Mark chapter 1. If you haven't listened to that sermon, Shameless plug, YouTube, go on mine if you can't, if you just love my voice so much. I've never had someone say you have a good reading voice. Okay. But if you want more of my voice, but if you more importantly, if you want to know more about John the Baptist, look at the very first sermon of this series because we talk about John the Baptist getting the road ready for Jesus to show up. But that's kind of a weird scripture, I'll be honest. But I wanted to finish that part because these verses that we read today, They're so deep. It's almost like I look, I read it, and I go, I don't even know what to say about them. Like, Jesus is transfigured, He's transformed, He's, He's, uh, there's metamorphosis that take place. He goes from being just, okay, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is both God and human at the same time, okay? Again, if you, if you have a hard time believing that, welcome to the, if you have a hard time understanding that, welcome to the club but my God's bigger than just a regular human being, okay? He didn't just take off the entire God thing. He didn't. He was God. He is God. But all of a sudden, they got to see Jesus as he's going to be in heaven. When you go to heaven, you're going to see people that went there before you. There's going to be family members who said yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're going to be cheering you all. I don't know. I can't prove this but I everybody talks about this tunnel this light and you go to the tunnel. I don't know I don't know if that's true but let's just say it is. You're going down the tunnel and you see at the very end, you see at the very end this bright light what do you think the bright light really is? Jesus. Okay? So when they see Jesus they see Jesus, these three guys they see Jesus for who he really is. Glorious. Now, i got to pause here, and then I say, why is this even important to talk about today on Pentecost Sunday? And why is it important? This world's a mess. This world's a mess. Joel, why can't you talk about something very practical today? Listen, I'll tell you why it's important. Thank you for asking, by the way. I really appreciate it, because I'm going to answer it. Okay? Why is this important? Because this is the main point. Once you see Jesus' true identity, you will realize your true destiny. You would see what your future is. You would see who you're going to be with the rest of your eternity. You're going to see the real Jesus. And what that means is that it will radically change your life. The reality is if we do not, and I've been guilty of this, we say yes to Jesus, but there are things in my life that do not change. For one, I'm human. I'm going to mess up. Correct? Can we give ourselves permission? We're gonna mess up. Okay, our old self creeps out of the ground and we come back to life, right? But once you see the real Jesus, you cannot be the same. You'll, you'll mess up, you'll screw up, you'll do a, you'll be like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Okay? But when you see Jesus for who he really is, you're gonna realize your true destiny. Now, there's two points that we'll be done. Because we want to ask the question who is Jesus? Is Jesus a man? Yeah. Is Jesus a good teacher? Absolutely, the greatest ever. Okay? Is Jesus a healer? Yes, he still heals. Is Jesus there is he a, is he a, is he a provider? Yes. Trust in Jesus. Yes, but he's more than that. If he's just a good teacher, you don't need you don't need to give your life to Christ for that. You can just accept this stuff his teaching and go well, that's good. You can build an entire country based on his teachings but he actually jesus is the glory of god in the flesh now i have a weird thing that happened to me on my powerpoint it won't let me type out the full name of god for some reason i have no idea why on any slide i have no idea now to be fair i might just reset my computer maybe we'll fix it i don't know but I tried to change it and I was like, what is going on? Cause it was fine the other day. Anyway, I think that's a weird point. But anyway, but Jesus, see, when you many people in, in life, Jewish people, they can't really write the name of God out. They do G slash D, right? So anyway, I think that's just a side note. But, but here's who Jesus is. Jesus is the glory of God. I put it aside in the flesh. Okay. And I'm going to say what that really is because when you think about glory, when you think about, I think about beauty, I think about power, I think about brightness, I think about wow, I think about amazing, I think about, uh, oh, this is almost overwhelming, he's the glory of God. Jesus isn't just a teacher. We've had many, many religious teachers over the centuries, over the millennia. We've had messiahs, false messiahs, false gods, We've had people go through the thing and say, I am someone important. Listen to me. Those people have come and gone. In fact, a lot of them are teaching doesn't even exist anymore, but Jesus will forever exist and he does. He's still alive because he is the physical glory of God in the flesh. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is beautiful. He is glamorous. He is like bright. I don't know. I can't try to think. He is. He is more powerful than we could ever uh, make him to be. Now, if that's true, then he's not just a man that is just a little bit elevated, as some religions teach. That, That God was man and he became God, but he's just man. He's barely a little bit over man status. Jesus is much greater than just a little bit better than man status. He is almighty God, powerful. If that's true, he is worthy of everything. He is worthy of everything. Now, on verse 2, I won't put it on the screen, but verse 2 we read. He said, six days later, after he said he said a statement, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up the high mountain to be alone. Everybody say six days later. hey okay, God never, ever, ever does things on accident. I'll tell you why I believe that, even with the six days later, it's not an accident. Okay? He leads him up a high mountain, and this is not just a detail that's made so you know exactly where it happened. When you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, you find one thing constant throughout the scriptures is that when Almighty God wanted to meet with someone powerfully, he met on a mountaintop. Always. Okay? So when Jesus is taking these three guys and he's going, okay, the rest of them, they're going to go over here. But you three... I want you to experience something that will forever change your life and it will, it will forever change the church. I'm going to take you up this mountaintop after six days of waiting. There's a reason why. And you see it a lot, but I'm going to read a few verses from Exodus because Moses in Exodus chapter three, the people of God have been in slavery for so long and he want, God wants to free the people. The same as what Jesus, God wants to do through Jesus, by the way. Very parallel stories. Jesus even greater than Moses. Go to, go to the book of Hebrews someday and you'll find that. He's greater than just, but Moses is an example. Exodus chapter three, verse one and two. He goes, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Everybody say the mountain. The mountain. Okay, so where is God leading him? He's actually, he's going to meet him at the mountain of God. And there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. We know that story. Because God says, and this is a great side note for you guys. Because the story is powerful. He goes, I see your suffering. I'm going to take care of it. I haven't ignored you, even though it's been 400 years. It seems like God's been ignoring them. God goes, I know exactly what you're going through. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to use this guy, Moses, to rescue you. And I want to say this side note, because it's very important. If you're going through some type of suffering, not just physical, but a lot of other ways, it can be easy to to make it seem like God is ignoring you. I get it. There have been times... Some pastors aren't as bold, but there are times I've gone through my life going, I have no idea where God is. I have no idea. And it could be if if you don't have your trust in, on a firm foundation, it could be very heartbreaking. And if you don't put your feet on a firm foundation of truth of, in God, who God is, when you go through a bad time and it doesn't go away, it's easy to just take a hike and leave God. I'm out of here. But God sees your suffering. God knows it doesn't just see it from afar. He's going, I'm going to take care of it. Trust me. Trust me. And that's exactly, he goes to a mountaintop and then verse 12. God answered because Moses is like, I don't know who, I don't even know what to say to you, God. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. In other words, there is a location, which by the way, we know we don't have to go to a mountain to worship God. Things have changed since this moment. Okay. But in the Bible, when it talks about mountain, it's a powerful place where mighty things happened. And it was a place of worship. The people of God worshiped. And that's exactly, exactly what was going on right there. Because after the crossing of the Red Sea, Moses led the people of God to this very mountain and they camped out there. They said, okay, Moses goes, everybody camp out right here. I'm going up to the top of the mountain. What do you do in the top of the mountain? He was communicating and communing and worshiping God. Okay. Now you're like, where are you going with this? Just stay here for just a moment because this is very parallel of what Jesus is saying. And if it's very parallel, it says a lot about who Jesus really is. Let's look at Exodus chapter 24. A lot goes on by the time they lead them to the mountain. Verse 15 and 18. It says, Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the... Now, does that already... It sounds familiar to to Mark chapter 9. The cloud covered. Okay? The cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for how many days? Weird, huh? That's kind of a weird coincidence. Six days? Listen... God is not doing anything by accident. Okay, that's you you look at the six days maybe in the average person, you know, I'm I could be a Bible nerd really. I'm like six days, six days. That's kind of weird parallel. But the reason why is that God never does anything on accident in your life or ever. Okay? Jesus had planned waiting six days to go up this for very very pur- purpose. On the seventh day that he's up there, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared. Everybody say glory. That's the word. The glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the clouds as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, how many days was Jesus tempted in the wilderness? 40 days and 40 nights. How many, t- how many days did it rain in, on the ark? 40 days and 40 nights. Look, listen, this is just Bible nerd knowledge, but the reality is, I want to be very clear, nothing is coincidental. Everything is planned. And when you read the Bible, if everything's planned then, everything's planned right now. So your life, which might seem chaotic, your this world, which seems chaotic, God goes, nope, that's going to plan. I turn on the news. Oh man! I read something. You know, I'm like, oh man! Look at a YouTube video of a guy doing commentary about wars and the politics. Oh man! I'm nervous. I'm scared. God goes, no, this is about right. This is the, this is how it's going to go. Everything's planned to what He really has planned a long time ago. Verse thirty-four, chapter thirty-four, verse twenty-nine, which is a couple chapters later, when Moses finally came down the mountain, Mount Sinai, he carried two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, Ten Commandments. He wasn't aware that what? His face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So he's just as bright as how Jesus was when he's on the mountain. Okay, listen, this is what, Brightness really is light. It's glory. It's power. It's God is so powerful that it's overwhelming to us. Now, what happened to Moses when he became radiant? He, he came to the people and he was too bright, so he had to wear a cover. He had to cover his face, um, because it was way too powerful. People would have gone blind. They couldn't quite look. He couldn't quite look at the glory of God. He had to pass through a mountain, pass through a rock to be able to see the glory of God that quick. Jesus changed that because the glory of God was right there. You know, Peter, James, and John, they, they survived it. So Moses carried the glory of God, and the proof was the radiance all over his face. See, Jesus, go back to the story of Jesus. Six days, takes them up there. He's transfigured. He's metamorphosized. He's changed. He is not who they've ever met him to be. He becomes like he is forever. He is beautiful. He is majestic. He is mighty. He is powerful. There, there's a Old Testament scripture about the Messiah. And he said, there's nothing about the Messiah that will that looks beautiful from the outside. He, no one would look at him and go, wow, he's such the most beautiful person. But you know what? Jesus, glorified, he's beautiful. He's powerful he's mighty, he's in charge, he's in control. Why do we worry? Why do we fret? If if Jesus is in control here, we have no reason to worry. Jesus, he doesn't just carry the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He shines brightly because he is God. And the reason why this is in here, I really believe, it. why do we get this little glimpse of this? Because Jesus wants you to know the future. He wants you to know eternity. He wants you to know what it really is about. He's given you a, a, a peek behind the curtain of this world. This world is, yet, is, is but a curtain of things to come. It's just a shadow of things to come. If we could just peek back behind the curtain, we could see the truth. We could see the truth. And what we see is that God's beautiful. He's radiant. He's glorious. And so if that's true, then God is, Jesus is more, He's worth, He's, He's more worthy than just our church attendance. He's more worthy than just reading the Bible when it's convenient, because by the way, it's not always convenient. It, it isn't. Trust me. He's more worthy than just going in the car and turning on the worship music on there, on the Christian station or whatever. He's worthy of that, but He's worthy of everything. And when Jesus says, if you're to follow me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me forever. If you, if that, if Jesus is calling us to do that, which he is, we can go that way gladly because he is worthy. And he's taken us to a place that's greater than you are walking in your journey yourself. If you were to walk to a certain location, I mean, we can go, I mean, Disneyland, I don't want to go to Disneyland, but Disneyland has nothing in comparison. When you're a kid, Disneyland would be beautiful, but you know, Jesus has taken us to a place that's so much greater than ever, than anywhere, than going to the beach, than going to, uh, seaside, Oregon. That is seaside in Astoria, Oregon. <sighs> well, I gotta just have a moment because it is beautiful. Right? Anybody beach people? Right? The, 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 wind and the salt air and you walk downtown, you can smell the waffle cones being in ice cream and, man, they do that on purpose. Those punks. No, but even greater than that, Jesus has taken us down the road. Now, a weird phrase in the story says, then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. What's that about? The quick answer, Jesus is revealing to us there is a life after this one. Where did they come from? The presence of God. They were able to come down and visit with Jesus for a moment. So my point is, is this passage speaks that there is a world that's beyond ours. That shouldn't shock you. But if there is a, if there is a life beyond this one that lasts forever, shouldn't it make sense to focus on the world to come and not just this one here? Why? This world's dying. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. It's dying. The way that the world is, it's this earth is not getting any better. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But the glory of God in heaven, it's forever. See, Jesus is the glory of God. And my final point will be done, I promise. Jesus, this sounds weird. You're like, what does this even mean? Jesus guarantees our glory. He's like, what in the world does that mean? Listen, Jesus was transformed. He was transfigured. He was metamorphosized. It's the same thing that we're promised. You're promised to be metamorphosized. The point in Mark chapter 9 is that Jesus experiences. Jesus is God. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is glorious. That you yourself, you are not called to be just who you think you are. You're called to be just like God has called you to be greater than you think you are, you are important to this, the mission of God. You're vital. Two verses, and I promise it will be done. Romans 12 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God, what? Metamorphosize. Let him transfigure you. Let him transform you into a brand new person at first by changing the way that you think. Walk away from your old self, pick up your cross, and Follow Jesus, but the only way that you can want to do that is to be transformed by the way that you think. Because my mem- my my brain says I don't want to do that. I don't want to pick up my cross. I don't want to follow Jesus. I want to do my own thing. Jesus was transformed, so can you? Second Corinthians three eighteen, final verse. I love this. Wait, you try to see if you can see the reference to Moses and the glory of God in this verse which was a happy little coincidence when I put it on here. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Remember, Moses had to wear a veil because the glory of the Lord, it was too powerful for the human to grasp. Now... We've all had that veil removed. We can see clearly. We can reflect the glory of the Lord. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed, transformed, metamorphosized into His glorious image. What does that mean? You become the person that you are meant to be. And if you're a Christian who struggles, welcome to the club. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is you are transformed into the image of God. You're Change and transform into the image of Jesus. Who He is, you're meant to live that kind of life, even now. And as we close in prayer, you're like, this is Pentecost Sunday. Where are you going to fit that into this sermon? I'll tell you how. The only way that you can be transformed is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. I've tried. I don't even have to write a book about this. If you try it yourself, it won't work, okay? You need the Holy Spirit to guide you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Fill us up to overflowing. Help us to live for you with everything. Help us to be radically transformed, metamorphosized, changed into the image of God that you have created us to be from the beginning. We messed that up. Sin messed that up. But because you took care of that sin problem, We can reflect the glory of God. We can have that veil that Moses had to wear. We could we have it removed because we can now see you for who you really are. We can see you for who you really are. And that causes me to want to fold up on my face and worship you with everything. God, I thank you for these people. I pray that they would get to know you too, just like I am on this journey to get to know you more. And I pray that we would all draw close together as we as we, uh, in the next few days, meet together on Wednesday for a small group. I pray that you would have your way with us and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. May you enjoy your weekend. Enjoy, if you have a holiday off tomorrow, God bless you. Amen. And the next day, and the next day. If you have holidays every day, that's awesome.